Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. There isn't anything Mikey Scott can't do. The marketing powerhouse has had a successful career in action sports and fashion and lifestyle brands. From being a professional snowboarder to running the global marketing at Herschel Supply for over six years. He grew up in Markham, Ontario with a love for skateboarding, soccer, and his close-knit family. Eventually, he discovered snowboarding and ended up traveling the world as a pro boarder at 16 with sponsorship from Ride, Oakley, Globe, and Endeavor. After action sports, Mikey pivoted quickly into marketing, working his way up to global marketing director at Herschel Supply, VP of global marketing for an iconic VF Corporation brand in Antwerp, and now VP of digital marketing at a travel company. He also launched an accessories brand, Issues Objects, with his wife Shauna Olston and several creative partners. In this raw and emotional conversation, we explore what it was like making a discovery about his father when he was nine, not letting trauma define you, the importance of quality versus quantity in life, the five pillars he always operates from, his journey in the marketing world and getting after it, what fatherhood means to him, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with the emotionally intelligent, golden-hearted Mikey Scott, who's one of the good ones. Mikey Scott, welcome to The Craft. What's going on? How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm I'm really happy you're here. Yeah, so am I. This is awesome. I'm a long-time listener, oh. uh, first-time sitter. Thank yeah. you. Well, thanks for supporting. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Yes, and thanks for sitting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nice chairs in here. Yeah, right? And doing it up Do you big like the here. mood lighting? Yeah, it's very moody. I'm into it. <laughs> it's very yeah. intimate in the studio right now. Yeah, exactly. Intimate conversations. <laughs> intimate conversations. Cool, calm, and collected. Here we are. Here we go. Here we go. So I was connecting the dots on how I met you. And I actually knew your amazing wife, Shauna, before I even knew you. But we re-met many moons ago when I became really good friends with your close friends, Dixon and Jordy. And the, the guys. The guys, the homies. Yeah, the homies. Yes. Those guys are day one. Salt mm-hmm. of the earth. Mm-hmm. Good, good men. And yeah, so we've known each other for a long time. Um, but I do remember about three or four years ago, and we were chatting about this last night, um, it was sometime after you left Herschel, we decided to go for a quick catch-up lunch, and we went to Burgoo on Main. Yeah, it's a good place. It's, <laughs> we, I think we were catching up over grilled cheese sandwiches on your suggestion. Probably tomato soup, too. <laughs> yes, yes, there, yeah. was, <laughs> there was tomato soup. Yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate soul food when you're trying to find yourself, right? <laughs> you just go back to the, the, uh, the original of what makes me feel good in a time of craziness. Mm-hmm. When you're in, in an existential crisis. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Something there, something there of just kind of like connecting with people and refiguring out like the world was crazy after that happened for me. And it was mm. just a little bit of tr- trying to understand, um, really just work through stuff. And there's nothing like just connecting with people. And, and, you know, obviously I've always looked at what you've been up to and where you've been and, you know, who you know and who I know. And I'm like, how do we not cross paths earlier? I know, you know, I know. But yeah, no, that was, that was a really special moment. And we got into a super 
super deep conversation. And uh, we and we'll put a pin on this and, and come back to it. But we discovered we shared a very similar discovery about our fathers. And I feel that's the moment we bonded on another level. Yeah, so. yeah, it's wild. It was. Uh, it's it's cool to see, you know, that you're not alone in this. And mm-hmm. it feels to me like there's many people that go through things. And when you start to share and be a bit more vulnerable about where you're at and who you are and what you're about, you either attract similar people or you you seem to connect with people on a different wavelength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about life and, and connection. Here we are. Here we here we are. Um, so you were born in and raised in Markham, Ontario, which is outside of Toronto. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's I always say I'm from Toronto, and then when people are like, "Me too," I'm like, "Uh oh." <laughs> <You're laughs> like, like, go another level deeper. Yeah, they're like, "Whereabouts?" And they actually say a legit Toronto address, and I'm like, mm. "Markham," and they're like, "That's not Toronto," and I'm like, "I know, but I I don't know where you're from, so it's way easier." Mm. But Markham was like uh, farmlands, and um, now it's like a tech capital. Of no like way. being in Ontario, it's this place where all the farmlands was cheap. People set up big companies and, and ran it through there. But when I grew up there, it was just kind of like car dealerships and a mall. And we used, used to skate everywhere we could. We could find pavement and just get after it. Mm. And I heard it has good food as well. There's so much good food. It was like this uh, this this coming of, of, of all these different types of people that came together, right? It was like you had... Uh, it was labeled as like Asian court, which was just like you could go there and get everything from, you know, without traveling, find the best technology. Mm. <clears throat> you could also go to, you know, like a, the Italian side of it, which was more in Unionville and get great pasta. Mm. You could go down to um, just the normal, I guess, a normal place and just get good pizzas. And everything was like two for one and three for one pizzas. Mm. and yeah, it was really easy just to go get good food. And um, I'd like to go back there at some point. But I was back there about 10 years ago, and I didn't even really recognize it. Mm-hmm. I have friends that have stayed there, and they pretty much live in, like, what used to be, like, these cornfields. No way. And yeah, it's all so developed out. It's totally developed. So mm-hmm. Markham and Stouffville and this wider urban sprawl is kind yeah. of getting filled in, which is either a sign of age or growth. Yeah, yeah. When I was in Toronto in, in the fall, I went to Hamilton um, to, to visit some friends. And, uh, I, I remember someone telling me like, it was like kind of like the butthole of Ontario. It's actually the armpit. It's the armpit of, uh, of Ontario, um, okay. which, uh, I don't know if that's because, you know, you, it, it gets, I don't even know why. Mm. I have no clue why I was going to mix them up on the spot, but that's just me trying to be funny. So I have no clue. Yeah. And you know, when, when we were there, I was like, well, it seems like it's kind of cool there's some breweries and it doesn't seem too much like an armpit so I think same thing it's just getting developed out and probably be a place where people are gonna be living yeah exactly it's like uh, I've I've had a a friend John Roth that was living there as well so he Mm. bought a building put a haircutting uh, barbershop in the bottom and then you know skate shop in the bottom of that and it's pretty cool Mm. you know so seeing that John's there and had spent some time and he's now since more on this side of the of Canada but yeah, I've known people, and we'd travel out there and go skate at this place, Beasley's, which was just like this little skate bowl. And mm. it was always interesting to try to get there once once one person in our crew had a license, which yeah. I never did. I like got my license at 19, so I was like, I don't know if it was lazy or if it was just smart, but it, it worked out for me. <laughs> it worked out. So what were you like, um, little Mikey? Just running deals. 
I didn't grow up with much in terms of like everyone around me tried their best, you know, but I didn't have, um, maybe I didn't have like the new skateboard all the time, but I got a skateboard. Mm-hmm. And then before it got too, too messed up, I'd sell it to a friend so I could subsidize getting a new one. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't have uh, new snowboards. So I would get a snowboard and then I would sell it to another friend to subsidize getting a new one. And then I would do another deal on the side to go try to find some more money to go do something else. But everyone around me tried their best and I was always fortunate. And, and I was always outside. Skating was like my thing. And then I learned how to snowboard on a single ski in my friend's backyard, like putting one foot behind the other. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And like, I could was, do this. Yeah, yeah. This was like when uh, snowboarding, um, I'm going to age myself, which is fine. I'm happy where I'm at. But I, I think looking at it from now, it's like, Everyone skied, so I wanted to go snowboarding. And I actually just wanted to skateboard in the winter. And it was like the underground parking lots were so cold, I couldn't take it on a skateboard, so I learned snowboarding. Um, I guess prior to that, I was in a lot of team sports, right? So I was in, like, soccer, mm-hmm. so much soccer. And I moved all the way from <clears throat> from doing, like, the, the center forward running and scoring goals to, like, let me go back a step. And let me go back a step where it's like I would set those people up. I'd kick the ball down the field, and then they would get the goals. And mm-hmm. I was like, let me set this up, and I'd go back again. I'm like, I want to be the defense. And then from defense, it was like nobody could get by. Mm-hmm. I just want to take them down, take them down, get the ball up the field. And then I was like, wait, if I could be the goalie, I could kind of like help control this game. So I kind of moved back, and I was in this place where I was, you know, probably – I remember doing cartwheels in the net sometimes <laughs> and then a ball would go in and I'd get back in the game. So I was a little bit of like a daydreamer, mm. but I was definitely passionate about sports and ended soccer. The minute I found actual skateboarding, Yeah, met some great friends, getting into individual sports. Uh, yeah. I've always enjoyed that even within a career of hiring like a competitive athlete, because you know that they're the resilience and the, the trying and the nonstop you know, going at it, going at it, don't stop, keep trying, try to something different. With skateboarding, it was like totally that. Same thing with snowboarding. And I was always pretty tall, so I would always get injured. Mm. So when I was sitting still, I was scheming on how to get some money to get something new. Or I was sitting still because I was injured and I was trying to figure out how I could stay busy. So Mm. I don't think I was too heavy at sitting still, but I think if you asked my parents, I'd be like really good at sleeping. (laughs) Like 14 hour sleeps, like oh, wow. crushing it. Well, I guess if you're that active. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was uh, when I was up, I was up. And when I was sleeping, I was really sleeping. Mm-hmm. So now having a kid for me, I'm like, whoa, I used to do that. Well, it's kind of good that you front loaded your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't get much. No, I don't get much. It's actually, I've been reading, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but I started reading this about two weeks ago, just this book on sleep and the importance of it. Because, mm. like, I can get by on three hours every day. But you're not supposed to. No, but I'm not supposed to. So I'm like, I wonder what it's like mm. to get eight consistently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder who I'd be, what I'd be thinking. What, I'd, wh- what would yeah. that be like? I can get by on three hours, five hours. Yeah, I mean, I think most pro athletes, from what I've read, get at least nine. Yeah, I bet. You got to let your body calm down. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But um, it needs to restore in that time. Exactly. Exactly. So I never did that. I never, you know, at a certain point it was like sport, <clears throat> then more into, you know, school, 
yeah. within career. Yeah. But I was, I was going for it as a kid, that's for sure. Mm. What were your parents like? They were pretty cool, yeah. It was like I grew up with, uh, I have two sisters, mom and a dad, and I grew up in Markham, and we were pretty much just, you know, my sisters are about 10 years older than me. Mm. So for me, I was always like the youngest in the family. So there wasn't too many dinner table conversations because my parents split up. And then I would spend time with my dad. I'd spend time with my mom. But I always had my sisters with me like all the time. Mm. And it's it's cool because, you know, you always had someone looking out for you. And it was that feeling of like being protected or being, you know, cared for or being guided Mm. and also being tortured. Like straight up. <laughs> well, I mean, naturally, right? you're yeah. the youngest. Yeah, yeah. I used to get like rolled across the kitchen floor with like eggs in my pants. What? I used to get like wedgied from the banister. Like I had like <laughs> these little torturing things that I was like, this is devastating now that I think about it. But once I got big enough, you know, I, I laid a beat down on both my sisters and <laughs> they stopped doing that. But no, it was good. It was really good. It was like cottages and yeah, swimming, fishing. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. How would you describe your mom? Hmm. My mom is like day in, day out, hard worker. Just like go for it. You know, like can't stop, won't stop. Has had both of her hips replaced. She like landscapes. That was her one thing that, you know, she was like trying to make ends meet. And uh, when she got laid off as being like a personal assistant for, uh, I guess, like more of an like, executive assistant, there she was, you know, talking to one of her friends and her friend was like, well, like, what would you do if you could do anything and you didn't have to worry about money? And she was like, gardening. I just want to do landscaping. And like our house was, it was pretty good when we were growing up. You know, it was like a little detached home, but our gardens were never crazy good. But the minute my mom spent full time on it and started going for it, so it was crazy. She's been running that. She's, you know, mid 70s been running that business for 25 years. You know, she gardens in like Gucci and... <laughs> You know, anything at the secondhand store she can she can run into and probably where I get the uh, the wear leopard print every yes. once in a while. Yes, you eclectic know. style. Yeah, yeah. She's a, like a style, just mm. totally. Wicked photos from way back in the day where she used to be a model and she was just, you know, my hero. She's great. And a nurturer, it seems like, to, to be someone who can nurture gardens like that for a very, very long time. I feel like you need to have a natural touch for it. Yeah, and not afraid to get her hands dirty, mm. you know? So that mm-hmm. side was, like, really interesting to see someone yeah. just, like, kicked and then got up and just went for it. Mm. Pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. She sounds wonderful. Yeah, she's a nice lady. Yeah. Let's go back to the story about fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were told the truth about yours when you were you were nine. Mm-hmm. That for me was, it was interesting. It was like, I remember sitting in the food court in this mall and my dad was like, hey, uh, I got to tell you something. I was like, all right, cool. I was like playing video games and he's like, hey, so just so you know, I'm not your dad technically, but the minute I saw you born, you know, I wanted to hate you, but I couldn't. You're too beautiful. So I wanted to be, you know, your Yeah, it was like, I want to be your dad. So it was to try to, you know, absorb that. It was like in one ear out the other, mm. you know. Didn't didn't know what to think. 
How do you feel about it now? I think I'm just like looking at it from <clears throat> from a perspective of being a dad and just you know just the you're you're wired like you're either wired like you're in or you're out and it's a pretty easy choice meaning that you have to be accountable and you're with it or like you're out and you just run and my dad didn't run it was great and I was like oh I don't even I don't even know what that means but I'm just gonna go play arcade games because you're straight up you're just my dad like mm -hmm. you're all I know right mm -hmm. so I think what that means for me now being a dad is that it's just like show up just like stay present show up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it was now it's tough to think about because it's just super emotional you know but you know when someone says like ah oh, like I, I want I wanted to hate you because of the circumstance but I looked down and I just fell in love with you I was just like you know 30 years later I'm like Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can look back at that, and it's it's so nice that you had that net of love, even though there wasn't any biological blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that for me, when I I had certain things happen from that, that I think just naturally happened. You know, it's like mm. I've lived out in Vancouver for over twenty years. I'm forty one. You know, like it takes. There's something different. I don't feel like I'm running from something, but I didn't feel this natural uh, attachment. Mm. But I didn't notice that till I was like 25. Mm. And then like, you know, maybe like three or four years after that, I was like, oh, I don't know like what this is. I don't understand it. Like I could be away for it for a while. Is that natural? Like, I don't know like what it is. Mm. But I think... The more I kind of went into it, it was just a story I told myself, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, this is like, you know, it's not, it's not my family, but it's, uh, it is. Because it's like who I was raised by, circumstances I entered the world, and the ability for me to appreciate the chance I'm given and make mm -hmm. the best of it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's pretty sick, mm -hmm. you know, no matter how I came in here, it was like, I had people around me that loved me and, and, and provided for me and gave me opportunity. And, you know, uh, I, I, <laughs> I didn't have, you know, a childhood that was super hard, but mm -hmm. I, I probably made it a bit harder than I needed to mm -hmm. just to kind of get motivated by that. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, you know, you and I were talking yesterday about, you know, when these things happen in your life, you can choose to to have it affect you or, you know, you can let it not define you. You talked about it shaping you, obviously, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to define who you are. No, it's, a, it's, it's okay to let feelings in, right? You know, I think this is like a perfect five years of like mental health actually being a, a positive, uh, a positive thing. Mm -hmm. I think in the past it may have been shaped differently, but all I've seen is people be more authentically themselves and more authentically not themselves. There's not as much of a middle ground as it used to be. Yeah. You know, you're either seeing like the masked shaped curated side, which is 
maybe an evolution of social media and digital uh, existence versus the physical. And the, uh, there's something there about, you know, just being okay with it. And, and it's okay if something crazy happens to you. You can be a victim. It's okay. But, like, you step through the door on that. And you got to be accountable mm. and then do something about it. And you have the ability to kind of, you know, I think it's more just about creating the, the opening or creating the space or creating that possibility for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mind's a powerful thing. It can, like, whoop you. It really can. You know? and, it, and I mean, too, you can you can choose to, like, block these traumatic things that happen to you or these, you know, these, these traumatic discoveries. Um, or you can learn to process them. Yeah, right? I, think that, I think that's exactly what it is. It's just like, you know, you're asking me simple questions, but they're deep. Mm-hmm. They really, really are. Yeah, I know I, I definitely feel you on, on that story. You know, having had almost the exact, almost the exact same conversation, but with my, with my mom and my mom, I was not, you were nine, right? Yep. I was nine as well. And my mother sat me down um, because my grandmother had come to visit me from LA and had given me this beaded bracelet that said Deborah on it. And I was like, oh, thanks grandma. And I went up to my mom. I'm like, look, look, grandma got me. And my mom, I, her eyes went wide, and she pulled me aside. She said, I have to tell you two things today. She said, your real name is not May, it's Deborah, and the man that you think is your father is your stepfather. And I remember kind of being like you, like, oh, okay. Like, how do you process that at, at nine? Yeah. Um, and obviously there's, there's way more a story in there, but, um, but yes, like that, that feeling of, of love that you that you you speak of from from your father, um, even though he wasn't of your blood, um, I felt that with my grandfather. My grandfather is where I get my last name Globus from, but he's my step grandpa. Mm-hmm. But he loved me, and I could feel that love even though he wasn't of my blood and I wasn't of his. So I know how important that feels for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's where <clears throat> there was something about that in working through that where I realized I'd, I'd spend so much time with friends because I had started, initiated, built that relationship. You know, it was like, it was whole. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like, <clears throat> no surprises. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're a good man, Mikey Scott. <laughs> You truly are. So in working through that, it was really just about, you know, don't read between the lines. Like, take it at the value that you have it in front of you. You know, like, things can be very simple. If you don't overanalyze things, you take them as they come to you. You don't, you know, think of people with ulterior motives. And I think that's where I... I, there's this balance of trusting people right away or getting people to earn your trust on different mm-hmm. decisions that you have. Mm-hmm. How big is the decision? Can mm-hmm. you just trust people right away until they do you wrong and then never let them go back? Or do you never trust someone until they earn your trust, in which case you have to give them something to earn your trust that you place value on that may not be that valuable to them? Mm. So that dynamic of friends and importance and family and acceptance was like this... this uh, 
Yeah, it was it was really interesting to break down and put back together and be like, uh, it's like pretty simple. Mm. That's mm-hmm. my dad. That's my mom. That's my sisters. These are my friends. That's that. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. you unpack that and you're like, I don't know. It feels like when you unpack that, there's all these things that you've attached. And in reality, it's just stuff you've made up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the things that we tell ourselves to survive. Really, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a really interesting process as an adult, looking back on all of those things and pulling those layers back. It's, totally. It's a scary. It's a scary thing to do for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes when you not not sometimes all the time when you get to the other side of it, you're like, wow. And then you just you love yourself a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Just like life is, you know, constantly throwing first world problems at me. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that are very near and dear. And very affecting me, I know I can get through them. It's just kind of letting it in, mm-hmm. processing it, setting a plan and working through it. Yeah. And not letting it like dwell or, you know, anything that way. But I think that's kind of like, if you're good, then you can be good for other people around you. But if you're not good, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not going to work. It is not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you have to let people love you, too, yeah, that too. right? That yeah, too. that's why it's so important to have, you know, your your family around you, or whether that's a chosen family. Everyone's situation is really different, but yeah, to have people around you that love you and to let that in makes a world of difference when you're going through something. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Let's go back to your teenage years. And you were a sponsored snowboarder for a number of years at a young age. Um, you were backed by Ride, Oakley, Globe, Endeavor. You met a lot of your close homies, like John Roth, you, were, you, were, uh, you mentioned him earlier. And you were traveling the world at, at 16. Tell me, tell me about this experience and how it changed your life perspective. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was more about for me in the early days was like, not necessarily, not necessarily how can I get more, but I was like, I really enjoy this. Uh, I'm freezing. So I I really enjoy this. I'm freezing outside. I need a new jacket. There's a contest. I know a couple tricks. I'm going to try to do this. Oh shit. I actually won that, you know, like, okay, cool. Well, I got a new jacket. Okay, so there's something interesting here. I was able to do what I really enjoyed and be compensated for that while still being celebrated in a group of people. I was like, this is sick. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I snowboarded, it was like four other people on the hill. You know, and you, if you didn't know them, you, you looked across and you had a nod. They knew that you snowboarded. You knew that, you know, that you snowboarded and you, you had this this bond, right? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's like skiing's almost becoming cooler because everyone's parents snowboard. Mm. They're like, I don't want to really be that, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, 
and it's in the Olympics and yada yada on that. But the the side there for when I grew up, it was just on like a 400 foot hill. You could walk up it as fast as you could, you know, take the chairlift. And I just grew up riding half pipe and that was kind of the thing and was able to get a couple sponsors. And then I remember I won this contest and they're like, okay, now you can go to Finland. And I was like, oh, like my dad's Finnish. That'd be cool. Like, that's wild. Maybe I could go do that. Okay, cool. And they're like, for this much money. And I was like, ugh, how am I going to do this? And then my mom just busted her ass, came up with the money with mm-hmm. my grandma. And I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to Finland. I'm 16 years old. And then I get on like the airplane and I'm like, some of these people are like, are on my wall, you know, like totally looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, that's, oh my gosh, that's Trevor Andrew. Oh my gosh, this is this kid, Chris Duffesey. Oh my gosh, this is, ah, and just like Jesse Fox. And I, I saw him snowboard over here. He's in the age category up. And I'm just like watching the world go around. And then I remember just being like, okay, whatever, I'm going in. I'm just going to go talk to these guys, say what's up. And it was just immediate acceptance. Mm. And it was like, that's cool. So that compounded into some more world travel. You know, it was like 16 years old, seeing armed guards at the Finnish, you know, the airport in Helsinki. I remember when armed guards were a big thing after 9-11. And Mm. I was like, oh, I had like had that a while ago. There was like people almost smoking on our airplanes. It was like raw, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So going from Finland to being able to travel across Europe, um, obviously Canada, I had lots of different friends. We moved from coast to coast and snowboarded and tried to stretch the seasons longer. In Ontario, it's like maybe like December until March. Mm. And then out in Vancouver, you know, that goes all the way till like June. You can get on the glacier. <clears throat> so it was this traveling, this camaraderie, you know, a little bit of money that came in from it. But it was mostly like it was fun. It was great. But yeah. I look back and I'm like, if I didn't have some of these distractions, I wonder. Mm. But I, I don't want to change anything, but I just wonder. I'm like, yeah. I wonder what. So it was mm. a lot of injuries, you know, a lot of distractions and a lot of fun. It was really cool. Memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can take those with Killer. you. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and you were saying to me that you weren't always the like the best snowboarder, but you knew how to build relationships work hard and provide value, which I thought was so interesting. Yeah, that was it, where I was like, you know, look, I can just be myself, right? I really enjoy talking to people. Um, I've been blessed with a group of friends that I've been able to grow old with. Um, Anyone I meet, like I'll talk someone up in the grocery store, no problem. So you put me in a place where I have like something to share with someone and we're bonded on something as strong as snowboarding or skateboarding or these things it's on, you know, like we're, we're ready. I'm, I'm with it. Mm. So I think it was really about that side of, um, I think it was that side of being able to go snowboarding with these types of people and shoot, where were we going? What was the question? It was about, yeah, it was about oh, the providing yeah, value, providing not really value. being that good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not really being that good. Um, I knew enough to get the job done and, uh, Snowboarding is interesting because if you look at Olympians, you look at a lot of these people that are really, really good. They're they're a little bit shorter. I'm mm. like six, just just below six four, 
Okay, so there's a lot of limbs flying around. <laughs> so it's tough to make things look good. And I was always focused more on quality versus quantity. Mm. So maybe I didn't have all the tricks, but the tricks that I had were like it. Mm. it. It was good. And I always knew how to do that in front of a camera or a video camera. And I always knew how to put that on when it was because it was like, you know, it wasn't necessarily a business, but it was something for me where I was able to like, I had no other choice. Mm. I couldn't afford it. So, okay, like I got to perform a little bit here so that I get to go travel the world. Like, oh, woe is me. Like, give me a break. If I can go get some photos, enjoy doing it with great people, organize trips, spend time on that, film in videos with some of my heroes, take photos with some of my heroes, meet the people behind the magazines, end up working with them later on in life. And just like all from this thing that I enjoyed doing, I was like, you don't have to be the best. And what the hell is the best anyways? Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was in Germany with Travis Rice before he became a big deal. I was in Finland with Trevor Andrews, as you know, most people know him as like Gucci Ghost and all these. Like, it's just interesting over time how people have and all those people are just themselves. Mm. But they're just good at what they do. And I was alongside of them. And, you know, I'm I'm still me. Yeah. Just a little bit older. (laughs) And you were able to parlay all of that that experience, the learnings, the connection into the connections, into a very successful marketing career. You were first at No Limits, Quicksilver, Bell Media, and then you became the global marketing director for Herschel Supply when it just launched. Yeah, that was cool. It was a lot of the, I got started at No Limits because um, I had gone to school and I had graduated and I met this guy, Des, uh, Des Price, real nice guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, I need an assistant. And I was like, you know, I'm broke. Like, I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. I remember doing expense reports for him with, like, bags of shot glasses. Like, I'll do anything. And I get to go snowboarding? Yes, I'm in. So after a while, uh, at No Limits, I think I did, like, four years there or something. Des had moved on. I remember it was, like, the first career moment where it was, like, the day Des quit. I was like, oh, my gosh. I have to like take on all his stuff. And then I was like, wait, I remember I was like, I'm going to quit too. I'm going to quit unless I get his job. I was like, here we go. Boom, went in, typed up my resignation. I quit too. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, I quit unless I get Dez's job. I've been doing it for a bit. Sure, he has more experience, but I can grow into this. Here's my proposal. Here's the salary. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the duties. And I can start right now. And they're just like, but you already work here. And I was like, no, I don't. I just quit. Mm. And I was like, cheaper, faster, more efficient than whatever else you're going to find out there. So once again, it was like, there might have been better people. But it was like, I saw the opening and I was like, boom, I'm in. So, you know, got a raise and was able to do some things there and pay off some student loans. And that was great. Moved from there into working at DC, which was owned by Quicksilver. Um, had a good run there. It was pretty quick, but it was like I was doing things where, you know, we got voted of having the best skate team. We got voted having the best snowboard team. And once again, it wasn't about having the best. It was just recognizing talent, giving opportunity to those who, you know, it's like you can't have a team full of 15 people and expect them each to kind of go for it. It's like, well, what if we focused on quality 
instead of quantity. And really, as a Canadian, you know, Canada's not that big in the grand scheme of things. And I learned that through global travel. Like Canada was like an account. It's a very important account for some businesses. Mm. But it's not, it's not its own thing, right? So I was like, okay, cool. So let's get, uh, instead of like, you know, 15 skateboarders and 15 snowboarders, let's get like five and let's pay them. Mm. And let's give them a chance. Let's give them a travel budget. And let's get all their other sponsors to do the same thing. And let's give these kids a chance because you get 500 bucks a month from one company and no one else is paying you. That company's just paying your rent. You're not going to do much different unless you go for it and take out a line of credit or you got rich parents or you got some other juice that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So did that. It was not a popular decision, but I was like, whatever, this is my chance and I'm going to try to do this. And for me, it was like I got to see people who were going. I still watch videos on Thrasher of like kids that like I used to sponsor sign this kid's first check mm. you know i'm like okay this this worked or on snowboarding there's this girl jess Kamira, who's like a fabulous fabulous snowboarder uh super super amazing individual meaning that like you know she didn't come from shit and mm. she's making something uh of it right now she just had a film called learning to drown which was like a total tearjerker mm. you should watch that one but it's um it's just giving people a chance and i felt like i had a chance so this industry that gave me so much, I got to pass that on. Mm. The worst thing I could do is not go work in that industry. If, because then I would just be sitting around the water cooler talking about like all this other stuff that no one gets. So I get the chance to go get paid to go do what I like again. And I'm in that and I'm giving people chances and I'm making some decisions for some bigger companies, you know, from a budget to 200,000 to 3 million to 10 million to... 50 million, it's like there's some very simple decision-making that happens inside of those that had gone from no limits to, you know, no limits was like squeezing blood from a rock. There was no money. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it was like, give this snowboarder five snowboards. Let her go sell them. Let her do something else. Get her to the next contest. She wins it. She gets this. Give this skate kid, you know, 500 bucks a month and then go call all of his other sponsors and be like, I'm paying him. You got to pay him. Yeah. Put some pressure on it. Give this kid a chance. So that was more the action sports side. But that started to kind of become a little bit interesting with Bell Media, right? So now Bell Media was still sport, but it was like corporate sport, right? And, and this guy that I had uh, developed a friendship with uh, over time, Matt Houghton, who I still consider to be a near and dear great, you know, great friend today. He was over there and he was coming from Snowboard Canada went over into MSN, which then got turned into Bell Media, started a sports property, got to hire a bunch of his friends. You know, I was writing articles, one a week for five years. You know, it was like, mm. you, know, you know, wrote like 400 articles, learned how to become a little bit of a journalist, you know. But all I did again was like write articles about my friends. Not so hard, mm-hmm. but pretty cool to get paid. And then when social media kind of came to, it was like this opportunity to kind of bring that into a digital space, past a blog. And I was like, this is totally learning, creative. There's no rules. This is like back when Facebook was fan gates, you know? Mm. And uh, so that's No Limits into Quicksilver, into Bell Media. And then I, uh, a couple of these things started to fall apart. DC went direct, shut down their Canadian office. Um, no Limits 
I guess that one doesn't really matter because it's before DC, but Bell Media ran out of time to make the sports thing a really big thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I got a couple checks here. So what am I going to do with all this? And I started a little consulting company. And then once again, went to all my friends, was like, hey, let's all go do a blog here and turn it into a little media property. And then on the back end of it was a business. And it was a little tab in the top right corner. But we had all this traffic coming. And then referral started to come in. So I got to work with Nike and Red Bull and, you know, pretty cool companies. Yeah. But that I, was beneath? Yeah, that yeah, was beneath. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, which is actually uh, the name went up for auction. And then Des actually renamed his company beneath. No way. Yeah. So he has a different way of saying what its value is at that company than what I did. Mm. Ours was just the original alternative to traditional media. Mm. So mm -hmm. it was like everyone else over here, we're on the other side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then I ended up pitching. Um, I'd, uh, one of the snowboarders that I had sponsored way back in the day was this guy, Colton Showers. And he ended up working for another individual. And then I asked him what he's been up to. And he showed me some of the product. And I was like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, my, my wife came home one day and she was going on a trip and she had this wicked camo luggage. And I was like, it's way better than the red luggage that I have, <laughs> uh, Dekine luggage. I was like, what is this? She started talking. So I reached out to Colton. He graciously got me a meeting set up with one of the founders of the company he was working for. Went in, pitched them on an idea. But before I did that, I did my research and I was like, social media is exploding. I understand their business. I'm going to go get all the social handles. I'm going to get Herschel Supply, Herschel on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, everything, every platform. Went in. Hey, guys, here's an idea for a digital proposal. I want to run your social media, da, 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 da. And I have all your accounts. And I remember, you know, the, the one founder who was like, what the hell? You can't have that. And I was like, no, no, no. This is like for you. And like kind of like a slide it across the table moment, like, Someone needs to be doing this, right? So they're like, oh, okay. But I had experience doing wholesale, had experience doing other stuff. And then it kind of what I pitched them on was just digital media. Mm. What I ended up doing was like a marketing director role, which was budget, which was content, which was communications, which was, you know, it eventually grew into a team of almost 30 people, but it needed 30 people. Mm -hmm. It was a super fast growth. You know, from very like, fast. Yeah. From like uh, inside of seven years, it was like two to two million to 180. It was like wild, mm -hmm. you know. So that was like a very interesting career path to lead up to once again, create an opening. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like I don't uh, I, and I'm, I'm still doing that. I'm still creating openings for growth. It's just now I can do it at different size companies. And, you know, Herschel was like lightning in a bottle. It was crazy. Yeah. We were talking about it being like the perfect storm of of everything at, at that time leading to the success. I'm, I'm curious to know, were you given a lot of space to create and innovate with the brand? And also, um, I know you're not a designer, but like design too within the, the company? Um, both the founders in the early days, so there's three brothers, but both the two that worked directly in the business at the beginning, they're creative guys as well. Mm. So it was like, it was super early, really scrappy. Hey, let's try this. Hey, let's try that. That didn't work. This one worked. Throw money at it, right? It was like really loose. And then over time, it started to get tightened up because I wasn't asking for five bucks or 500 or five grand or 50. 
It was like, here's a program for a half a million. It's going to make us this much money. Here's where we're going to go with it. But I was usually given a fair amount of autonomy. Mm. And both the brothers, you know, one was more in product. The other one was more in sales and operations. But together, they were like the yin and yang. The only difficult part there was that I reported, I was the only person in the company that reported to two brothers. Mm. <clears throat> so I was often either marginalizing one or both because they're, you know, they're a yin and yang, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say they don't agree, they totally do. But more than often during my time there, it was challenging because I would have to learn how to communicate and sell something on a wider perspective than just my opinion. Mm. You know, it mm-hmm. was like your opinion can count for a certain amount of time. But when you're in control of this many people, this type of a budget, this scale and fast growth of a brand, it's like, you know, it shouldn't be like a bunch of balls that you're juggling in the air. Mm-hmm. It should be more of like you're, you're, you're developing a system and a process and how that works. And I think that, you know, for me, in my time being there, you know, just under six, no, just over six years, it was like, yeah, an MBA. Yeah. It's killer. Got to travel the world. You know, it's like Paris four times a year, New York four times a year, Vegas four times a year, Hong Kong four times a year. You know, every like Philippines, go across Europe, you know, Italy. And it was so cool. And I had a full owner-operator syndrome when I was there. Mm. I thought it was mine. Mm. You know, I thought it was like one of the brothers. I was like, hey, this is it. Guys, we can do this. And they, they, you know, they always treated me like that, mm. you know. And then I think at a certain point, it, our goals just weren't aligned. Yeah. Or at least maybe I changed and, and what was important to me. And uh, that was, I think, you know, the right time to exit and, and call it. Mm. And it was a little bit of a difficult exit, but it was, you know, good things have happened since then. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much, but I want to remember that it happened so it never happens again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you learn most about who you are from your time there? Um, I learned that uh, don't let your job define who you are. I got mm. lost. You know, it was like the minute that I wasn't at Herschel, I wasn't myself anymore, which is complete bullshit. I've always been the same guy. Mm. I'm always, you know, I'm always Mikey Scott. That's it. You know, for better or for worse, if you don't like it, beat it. You're into it. Let's hang out. Mm-hmm. But being able to have the confidence there, I would say, you know, if you're, you, you can't make everyone happy as well. And I learned that as the company went from, I was like the 12th person to get hired at the company. And then at the end, there was over 300, right? So I learned that you can't make everyone happy and that's okay. Mm. And it's not about being a people pleaser and it's not about being nice. Often niceness gets mistaken for weakness. And I was saying this to you yesterday, like I'll eat anyone's food anytime. But it took me a while to realize that I don't have to. Mm. I don't have to, right? So my time at Herschel was just like, if something fell, you know, I lost someone in the team, I would take on their job. That's old Mikey. New Mikey would say, okay, great. We got to pitch in. We got to share. We got to pick this up. We're going to start to rehire. Here's the resource plan. Here's the budget. Here's the timeline. Here's the job description. Bang, let's go. That's new me. Mm. But -hmm. during that time, it was just like wild. Yeah. It's just like going through it and being able to collaborate with so many different creative people. I mean, I still keep in contact with 
I would say like a, a pretty tight squad of people there, mostly because that's all who I know mm. that's there. But they've got incredible people working at the company. And, uh, you know, I think most importantly, it was like I had huge expectations for how that was supposed to change my life. Mm. But in reality, it's like it did. It did change my life. Yeah. You know, there's different things there where, like I said, owner operator. It's like I got the results because I was bought in. Would have got a tattoo if I had any. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't look back on it as a negative. I look back on it as such a positive, such a crazy experience. But there's a couple things that I need to make sure that I don't forget, so that I don't fall into that again. Mm. And that, for me, is I think how I'm able to achieve more of a work-life balance. Achieve more of a satisfaction of my job and a certain amount of accountability that I can stomach, that I can do good with. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, people are just people. It's not like any of the three brothers that were involved had all the answers. They were in the same boat as me. We were trying our best. Mm -hmm. But I had this like, you know, got to make these guys happy. Got to mm -hmm. make the, the head of this department happy. You got to make this person happy. You got to make that. It's like, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I need to make sure that I can be accountable to what I'm an expert at. And, and to yourself. Oh, totally. Yeah. I was fucking good. Mm. Really good. And it took me a while to look back after that to be like, you know, let the feelings in, be accountable, look forward, be like, all right, let's get at it. Mm. Let's go again. Right? Yeah. But that was, uh, that was biggest takeaway there was like, you know, owner-operator syndrome. I had no clue what that even was. Mm. Yeah, and I, I do think it takes experience and age to really find your inner compass that you can always come back to, to mm -hmm. rebalance yourself. It's yeah. just life teaches you that, right? So. Yeah. And then um, after Herschel, you ended up taking a VP of global marketing role at a VF Corp brand, and you moved to Antwerp, Belgium. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I, I'd been into Antwerp with Herschel once. One of our distributors was there, a guy I still keep in contact with. Shout out John Peters, awesome, awesome guy. Anyways, the side there was like, you know, I got a call from a recruiter and I was like, hey, uh, how you doing? And he's like, hey, we're looking for this, for this company. And I was like, isn't that that struggling accessories brand that used to be like iconic? like?" Guess or Tommy Hilfiger. Remember like before they had the Hadids or Bieber, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like 80s, iconic, you know, Marciano, like there. This brand was that as well. And it was like, okay, cool. Well, they're like, would you be interested in doing that? I was like, I did this full creative project. Yeah, I would. And this is what I would do with it. And then they came back and they're like, well, we don't want to really do that. And I was like, then I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with it. <clears throat> and they're like, okay, cool. Boom. Two months later, I get another phone call. Hey, remember that thing you proposed? What if you could do that? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm in. You have a brand that's for uh, people of a certain age that's you know above 60. I'm saying we go 18 to 30. And that's even a wide gap, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have a bunch of creative that's stale. I'm talking about United Colors of Bennington, inclusivity, diversity, uh, young and old mixed together, celebrate humanity, inclusivity, like let's go for it. And then that's what we're about. And that's the creative vision. And then the product comes as a result of that. 
okay. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, like, let's do it. Went back and forth, negotiated for a while and got into it. And then I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to sign this on. This is wild. Uh, I don't even know what's going on here, but let's do it. And I moved over there about three months in advance of, of my wife moving over, which was like super lonely, mm-hmm. like super lonely. Like I remember my second day there, it was like, all right, we're going to Shanghai. Boom. Okay. All right. We're going to Italy. Okay. We're traveling all these places, but I have no- nobody to share it with. You know, it was like, that's weird. So I went in there and over a longer period of time, it was becoming pretty evident that what I had sold in was being scaled back and it was tough, right? Because I was like, what the hell? I just moved all the way over here <clears throat> to do these things. And, you know, the relationships and the complexity and the matrix reporting structure and the scale of a half a billion dollar brand that's 35 years old from what I had come from was like a six-year-old brand started by a couple guys who had other jobs and this one had better timing better luck in my opinion maybe better people Mm -hmm. and I went into this you know VF is an incredible organization that's like a huge accelerator for brands you know they be interesting to see whatever they do with Supreme but like you know Vans they bought Vans at 300 million that's like 4 billion Wow. You know, like they accelerated it. They have van stores. The leaders um, of, of VF is an incredible individual. And having the opportunity to sit down in Shanghai and have a meal with him was like, that was it. That's the nugget, right? The other nugget there is like living in Europe and totally being away from everything and having to reinvent myself was like huge. Mm-hmm. And then about six weeks into being there, <clears throat> And I was still seeing a therapist at this time. It was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having all these feelings. I don't know what's happening over here. Like culturally, it's way different. You know, I'm like the, everyone else has got four languages in this, in this room. And I'm like the guy who just, you know, has to call the shots in English all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get by on French. My, my Flemish is like not existent. <laughs> my Italian is like, I can order a pizza. Um, and my, you know, my Mandarin is like rough, Mm. you know? So I was like, holy. So after a while it was really tough because sometimes I was, I was, I was the outsider and I was coming in at like very high level and I had to make really rough choices, sharp, fast, aggressive. And I was like, you know, leadership is not a popularity contest, Mm. you know? You're coming in to disrupt the 35-year-old business. You have people who have been there for over 10 years or five years or 20 years. And you're going to up, uproot their life. You're going to change everything. And that was a big lesson for me because it was, it was about moving people from, from independence to being interdependent. Mm. Right? So that, that, that thinking of all these siloed departments or all these siloed regions... You know, there was a region in APAC region. You had an MAO region, and then you had an uh, America's region. Mm. My role was global. Yeah. Right? So it's like 450 emails a day. Like, sort through them. Do the work. Get after it. Centralized team, very small. Regional teams in these markets, very big. Exact opposite of what I had at Herschel. Mm. All All the centralized team was about 30 people. 
across everything from building stores to, uh, you know, doing the communications to the branding, to the content, to the copywriting, to the events, everything. We had a full centralized team. Now I did the exact opposite, decentralized team, right? I went from scrappy, process, highly creative, fast, to slow moving, super tough, matrix organization. Nobody reports to you outside of this in these regions, but they report to you on a dotted line. Oh, and I was like, a dotted yeah. line? Yeah. Fill it in. Give me all these people. But then I was like, no, I don't want all these people. I'm going to learn how to lead by influence uh, and move people from independence to being interdependent, which means basically that what happens over here, you're not isolated from that. Yeah. We need to sit at a table together, make decisions collectively, and move forward and be a believer in the big strategy. And there was resistance to that, that tons, cohesion? Yeah. Tons of region. Yeah. Tons of it. Because once again, it's like change is hard. You know, change is, is. wild and change is hard. Mm. So having that conversation with people and starting to get a bit of a track record, and that was a role that was just under two years, you know? And it was like warp speed I was running at. And there was other people in the organization that were new that were running at warp speed. But the business wasn't running at warp speed. You know, so I met lots of great people, incredibly talented in this big VF um, monster. I started to negotiate my way out of that brand that I was in where I was like, oh, I got to go over to like North Face or Vans or something that is a bit more of like, you know, if if the brand that I'm at is not going to do this, then I'm not going to be at the brand because I'm not the best person for it. You can find better people. Mm. here's what I'm motivated by. Um, I don't want to block someone else's opportunity. Yeah. I'm going to try to get out of here. And if it's not a fit for either side, totally, there's no point in forcing it. That's it. Exactly. So after a while, it was like, you know, getting an executive position in some of these larger companies isn't an overnight decision. Mm. And it's actually not my decision. Right. So interviewed a couple different places inside VF, outside of VF. At the end of it was like, this just isn't working. Got a check and just traveled our asses off with my yes. wife. And I should say that all that in under two years, but the, the real crazy part was about six weeks after being there, you know, I was just walking around in Antwerp and Antwerp's awesome. It's like a city village. You know, it's like a Dries, a Dries store next to a Prada store, next to a, you know, a Raff store. And you might run into Dries or Raf mm. on the street walking. And like, that's the same feeling I used so to cool. get. Yeah, it's the same feeling I used to get with working at DC and like walking down the hall and bumping into Danny Way and being like, oh, and like just like being totally stuck up against the wall. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, holy shit. Mm. Same thing happened in fashion there. Where it was just like, I had a good friend, uh, uh, Bob, who runs uh, the this, this store Veer. And like his best friend is like Raf. And I was like, what? Like, you know, heroes in fashion yeah. or heroes in sport. But they're just regular people doing their job, doing their best. Sure, they're designed differently. That's what makes them special. But they're also incredibly pointed at their opinion, which makes other people look at it and go, if they're that serious about it, I want to be in. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. so six weeks after being there, uh, my wife calls me and she's like, I'm pregnant. Yeah. I was like, oh, like just moved here. 
we had plans to go, you know, travel and do all these things, but all that stuff didn't matter. I was like the loudest scream and the, the most beer drank by myself in Antwerp. <laughs> and like, it's, there's good beer there. There's a lot of it too. That's what I hear. And yeah. Willow was born there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah. little son Willow was born, which my wife's a champion, you know, being a, a mother and, and giving birth and the system and how it's set up over there is like, you just get whooped by taxes. But mm. if you do something like that, like the, the, the process for not only giving birth, but leading up to that was so, you know, so more advanced and focused on humanity than it was over here in Canada. Mm. And I was like, wow, maybe that's why we pay 50% tax. <laughs> yeah. You for know? all the social programs yeah. that happen out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, okay, cool. We can take advantage of a bit of that. Like, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. Um, and then we just started traveling. It's like traveling, traveling and traveling. And it was like, that's what made it okay. Mm. It's like, I got numb at my job and I went in there and did the best that I could, but it wasn't, you know, I resorted back and I was like, I am not this brand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This brand is my job and I'm going to do a fabulous job and the best that I can do at it, but it's not me. Mm. So I'm going to make sure that I'm me. I have a son. I have a wife. I want to be a good partner. I want to be a good leader. I want to be a good father. And all that pressure and weight was like, ugh, just processing that, even thinking about it of, you know, didn't come naturally, you know? So mm -hmm. having to work through it. Yeah. Maybe for some people it comes naturally, but for me, I was like, you know, this is a lot, you know? This is a lot. Like, I don't know anybody here. I don't, I'm in this position where, you know, it's, it's a, something I've aspired to. And I got in the position and I was like, it's not all it's caught up to be. I mean, it's a, it's a great opportunity, but maybe it's not for me, especially at this place. Yeah. Uh, but I could only imagine, you know, if I was able to help carry out what I'd sold in, the effects. But I'll never know. Mm. I checked the Instagram of that brand uh, last night. It's, it's still not as good as when I was there, but it's not bad. Yeah. There's yeah. a little bit of like dust on there from when I was there. A little Mikey dust still yeah, left. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But um, no, kudos mm. to just personal growth and doing it and being forced and you know, if I ever get backed in a corner, I often design things by an accident where I get backed into a corner and I have to make a decision. Mm. And then I just, you know, like time to be accountable. Yeah. You just make it Go. like once you're like, ready, I feel like you just, that's it. You make it, that's it. And you're pivoting and yeah, that's yeah, it. you're ready for the next challenge, which you, you guys came back to Vancouver and now you're in your next career let's call it a challenge. It's not a challenge, but you know what I mean? Your next step, you're VP of digital marketing at a travel company. Yeah. Yeah. Travel is just like whooped pretty bad in mm. this pandemic, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, I was coming back and I was watching the world kind of burn, you know, if you will, mm -hmm. to see just things happening. If you had a job in COVID, you're, you were doing pretty good. And I'm not saying it's over. I'm not getting into that. Like if you had it, but I will say, Number one, having a job, like that's a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then number two, what's that job going to be? So I was fortunate enough to have a couple dollars saved to then buy some time to look around and go, what do I want to do? Not like, what can I do? I can do lots of things. I've, I've learned that. You know, I can do almost anything I put my mind to. But what do I want to do? Right? So I was like, okay, cool. 
did a little bit of personal discovery. This is back after Herschel. And uh, it was to try to understand these things that were motivating me. And I did an exercise uh, that was about, you know, everything you're afraid of in this circle. And then everything that's the exact opposite of that on the outside of the circle. And then take a step back and which circle are you living in? And I was like, shit, I'm living in this small circle of everything I'm afraid of. Mm. Right. I was like, that's, that's a bummer. I'm going to go out here and just started going out there. And every time I would creep into that circle, I would just get out of there. And sometimes if I got in there and being motivated by fear, it wasn't so bad, but it was definitely not as powerful as being motivated by, you know, these things that were more appealing to me. So developing a system of like, you know, these five things that were super important to me as I go through any career or as I go through any opportunity, it not only allows me to see an opportunity, but it allows me to, to just, you know, jump into it and just give her. Yeah. Right? What are so, the five? So number one is learning, right? So I got to be in a place where I'm learning. I don't just want to go into a place where I have all the answers because I don't. That's another thing for me. It's like, <clears throat> I don't have all the answers, but I'll definitely sit at the table, brainstorm, get through it, come up with some strategies, come up with some ideas and make a bet and mm-hmm. be accountable and drive results. That's it. Right. Nobody has all the answers. Everyone's trying shit out. That's okay. Um, so that's learning. I want to be able to learn in a role. Um, and also obviously off the base of building, right? So the other one is innovate, right? I don't want to be in a place that's like stuck, um, and not adapt to change. I want to be in a place that's a little bit like needs change, wants change, wants to go after it. Um, that for me is a more appealing to be in a faster pace, you know, not just sitting back. So that innovative idea uh, the other one would be challenge. I want something big and scary. You know, I need to be a little bit more invested. And that's a bit more of what makes me tick. I can't just sit back. It's tough. It's really tough for me. And if I would, then it wouldn't be for long. Mm. Right. And I'd come back in and people would be like, well, it's this guy's problem. He was chilling like two days ago. And now he's just like going for it. What's like, what's up? So uh, the other one would be creative. You mm-hmm. know, I, I am creative. And that took a while to understand. And what is my creativity? I'm, I'm not your graphic designer. I'm not entirely your creative director. I'm not the guy that goes in the bottom floor at Ikea, looks at the boxes and says, give me one from that row, give me one from that row. Cool. I'm the guy that sits on the top floor of Ikea, walks the rooms and curates. Mm. I'll do that at any furniture store. That's just the easiest one because I know we've all been drawn to Ikea for meatballs or... Whatever it is. They're huge right? chocolate bars. Exactly. Like exactly. Or glug or whatever <laughs> it is that they have, right? The, um, yeah, the side there is just like, you know, my creativity is curation. Like, I learned that over time where I was like, I don't, I'm not like the, the white paper sketch guy. Mm. I'm like the magazines on the wall curate the best possible room and having an eye for that. And that also allows me to collaborate with people because I can build teams, mm. right? I can collaborate with people. Um, and then the other one is just confidence, right? I want to be in a place where there's believers. I want to be in a place where people are confident because I'm confident. Mm. And my confidence here um, needs to be in a place that appreciates it, wants it, demands it, and also appreciates and respects it. Oh, I love that. Right? So there's mm-hmm. that learning, that innovation, that creativity, that uh, um, challenge, and then the confidence. 
Those are the things for me when I look at an opportunity. I'm like, okay, cool. Here's my framework. Okay, this opportunity ticks two of them. I'm out. Mm. It's All pretty five easy. have yeah, to be there. They, they got to be there. Yeah. I don't do four. I don't do three. Certainly don't do two or one. But like all five need to be there. So my current role now is like travel's beat up, borders closed. How do we bring money in? How do we stay up? It's simple. We sell moments to look forward to. Mm. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy out there. Nobody should be traveling doing some of the stuff that needs to be done right now. But you can book it, you can secure it, and you can look forward to it. And when you feel safe, when the world's in a place where you know, you're able to enjoy it, whatever your comfort level is, We'll put you out on a trip and you'll crush it. Mm. And it's a little bit different than selling a hundred dollar backpack or a, you know, um, a $50 pair of shoes or a hundred dollar pair of shoes. It's like, you want to go spend 25 grand for two people to go on a trip? Hit me up. Mm. It's the best experience of your life. Both are a feeling, right? Yeah, that's it. So I've learned this emotional connection to people, but over the years, I've understood the importance of connection from a consumer level. Mm. doesn't matter what the business thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, and most businesses are stuck in that. But here's what we want to do. It's like, well, what is a customer looking for? Do you actually have that? Or can you convince the customer that they need this if they're not even looking for it? Mm. And that's the digital side for, for what I really enjoy right now is that it's like I've been building brand forever. Right. I've been running the wholesale side forever. Yep. You know, I've been looking at events. I've been building stores. I'm like this, like, dinosaur who can go, you know, an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm, mm-hmm. You know? So it's been a while since I've been able to go into a company and help revamp it digitally. Yeah. Where I'm, like, right down to working in Figma on web designs and proofing all the way up to, you know, tech stacks and front-end design and into the strategy for the big company and collaborating across leadership. It's like... My hands are dirty. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and this I'm is your building. space. Yeah, this, is, this yeah. is your space. Big, huge corporate company. Run it all. You know, maybe career suicide for me to say no. Mm. But I can certainly tell you that if you have a small business and you want to get it bigger, I'm your guy. Mm. That's the easy part for me to now look at and go, yeah, this is scrappy. I'm in. Yeah. I can help build this. Yeah. But the other side was like the VF complexity. I was like, maybe not my bag. But if there was a small area inside one of those companies where they wanted to innovate, I'm your guy. But I don't need to run it all. Yeah. I don't need to like feel that. And now you know that now. Yeah, yeah. Your inner compass is strong. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So mm. hopefully for anyone that's listening, if they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on or what the hell to do, it's like you could try that or you could invest 500 bucks in a business coach or you could ask the person that you look up to if you can talk to them once a month. Or you could ask your friends what they're up to and start brainstorming. Or you could sell your car and build a website and put your brand out there and try to make it work. And if it doesn't, that's okay. You know? But if you have that inkling, you know, if you want to do something, you just have to you have to do it. Whatever that is. Whatever that step looks like for you, you just have to do it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. My, my family always tells me, even my wife, she's like, you should be in sales. I'm like, I am. I just... It's sell marketing. (laughs) You know, I could be Vancouver's number one real estate agent. I don't know. You know, I could be. But um, you do sell marketing. I mean, so many times you've said you've I mean, just listening to you now, you're like you came into them. You were like, 
here's my plan. That's that's you selling. Yeah, that's it. It's just the confidence as well of <clears throat> being okay with rejection too. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I came back from Europe, it was like I must have talked to 60 companies. And then I hit one right, mm-hmm. you know, which is okay. It's yeah. like I think I've applied at, you know, some of Vancouver's biggest companies 25 times. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Like they know who I am. I'm the mosquito. <laughs> That's okay. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like I'll get them. Yeah. Mosquito yeah. Mikey. That's it. I'll get them. I'll get them. I'll get after Eventually. It. Totally. No, no hiding. No, no, no hiding. Yeah. I'll get you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, just a couple more questions, actually about four more, Let's but, um, uh, you and Shauna have also started something creative on the side called issues objects. Yeah, there's a couple of us involved. There's about four of us. And it was really just this idea of, you know, all of us had come from working in fashion. All of us had been at leadership positions, you know, doing everything from creative direction to brand to product to I'm like, you know, I get to work with three incredibly smart people. Sometimes I'm like, what the hell am I doing here again? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like the make it happen. Yeah. You know, like I'll just make it happen. Okay, cool. What do you want to do? Okay, great. Um but yeah, issues objects was like twofold. It was like issues, meaning like a magazine. When you when you see a new issue of a magazine, you get excited, right? It's not like one issue of Vogue or one issue of Snowboard Canada or one issue of Monocle or something. It's like, you know, you look forward to something. Oh, it's a new issue. Great. So that premise of issuing product and the the piece there was like, what's the issue about? And that's it. It's like, you know, you have to have an issue to solve. So for us in our first project that we did was, you know, revamping like a, the, the full classics of everything we know and the greatest hits of making the world's greatest tote bag, make it on a small run, you know, make a couple hundred of them, sell through them. And that's okay. We don't need to make that again. It's all the issue that we needed. Some of our friends who are, you know, um, supporters, some of our friends around the world that were supporters. And some people that we didn't even know that just started buying it. And we're like, holy shit, like your phone. I don't know if you have Shopify on a phone, but it's like ka-ching. Mm. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Someone bought this? Sick. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, we have to ship it to Bangkok. Oh my gosh, we have to ship it to London. And that's where we're like, oh, this is a creative muscle, but it's also something where you know, it served its purpose. We're going to continue to work on what the next issue is, but it's like, you know, it's wild to kind of run your own business and make a physical product because mm-hmm. I've always helped people do that. But to touch and hold and work with something, you truly feel like, you know, the blacksmith in the medieval times. It's like you get to make something and hold it and, and touch it. Mm. And for so long I worked with companies that did that, but I didn't, I didn't do it from start to finish that way. I got to work with incredibly talented people in product smart people in sales and operations, all that other shit. But it's like, you know, this is my first kind of like touch at it, which was pretty fun. Mm. Massive pain in the ass, but but worth it. Yeah. 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 You get to take all that experience and now this is yours. Yeah, that's it. Which is like probably only important to me. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I mean, exactly. why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not like, you know, screaming from a rooftop, but being super proud of it and also making it real. Yeah. You know, take a chance. People don't like it. That's okay. Maybe it was a bad idea. And now you know. And now we know. Yeah. Yeah. So like 
we're good. Mm. You know, we got through what we had and faster than we thought. And we did it in a way that we were in control. We felt good about it. And the whole idea was like, you know, a, every person that's been involved has sat in a boardroom and been involved in a decision that they didn't enjoy. Mm. And mm -hmm. it may or may not have been for the right reasons. But a lot of what we're doing here is like, we're collectively agreeing on things that we like because we all have a pretty similar mindset and putting it out into the world and seeing if anyone else has that. Mm. And so far it's worked. That's great. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. for A, the next object yeah, to come yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but also thank you for for the bag that you brought for me today. It's uh yeah. it's gonna be my new sound therapy instrument bag. Get after it, test it, beat yeah, it up. I will. Kick it down the stairs, do whatever you gotta <laughs> do with it. I've had friends that have used it for everything from carrying wood. It's like the most luxe bag to carry wood, to people that have used it for overnight, to people that have used it for their day to day, to people that use it for pregnancy bags, like yeah. everything. You know, stuff where I was like, whoa, I didn't think of that. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting use of it. But you know, but why not? Like, yeah, but why not? If it's solving your issue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> what it's, it's like, for. It's totally it, where it's like, you know, there's something to that where it's also a learning mm. that I like, where it's like, I had no clue about that. Mm. Or I did not think of it. Or I'm not going to be like, it's not designed for that. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. We know what we made it for. If other people take it and interpret it as their own, mission accomplished. Yeah. As long as it adds value and fashion is like wildly wasteful. Mm -hmm. So how can we just make something that's good? And uh, how do we make sure that it's, you know, of value and let's focus on quality, not quantity. Let's be, you know, sold out, not on sale. Mm -hmm. And let's do it in a, something that's, you know, gender inclusive. And yeah. let's do it in something that's non-seasonal. Right. Like so it. it's like it probably won't allow us to pay other people. That's okay. Most of us got jobs. We're just kind of going at this for a fun creative project. And sometimes you need that as a creative person. Bang. There you go. <laughs> so a few more questions. Let's do it. If you were to say anything to your wife, Shauna, right now, in this very moment, what would you tell her? Love you. I love it. And I wanted to go back to the notion of fatherhood um, for my second to last question. What is it that you would like to tell Willow and your little one coming about life? Hmm. I want to say something cliche like try your best, but that probably won't hold. That's probably a given, you know? I think there's maybe something along the lines of maybe family first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. My final question, I ask every guest, with what it is that you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Yeah, I thought about this one, right? So <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that it's like I've watched, sorry, I've listened, but I've, I've usually looked at, you know, cracking around the internet and going through and listening to a lot of these podcasts. And I've heard everything from, you know, I, I like G-Mans and I think, uh, you know, other people that have been on this, I'm always like, oh, I had no clue. And I like, grew up beside them or work with them or I'm involved with them. I think it's like um, there's something about leaving it better than you found it. You know, like real simple. Mm. So maybe whether it's 
um, interactions with people, you know, leave it better than you found it. You know, say what's up, say hi, make someone's day good. To career, add value and, and, and try to make sure that, you know, you're delivering a solid product, whether it's, you know, something that you're directly involved in or you're in a partnership and you're working with other people. And on a personal level, it would probably be, you know, leave it better than you found it would be like, you know, I come from like a, a broken home. So. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Mikey, I adore you. And you know how much I've appreciated your your friendship and your support over the years, whether it's with work and career or or personal. And, you know, when all the... Asian hate stuff was happening at, you know, at the very start of it earlier this year. I remember you sent a text to check in on me and just to tell me that I could count on you and Shauna, and it meant it meant a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's who you are, and uh, you're truly one of the good ones. And uh, yeah, I just I just love you. Mm, love you too. Thanks, May. Thank you for being here. All right, see ya. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>